0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. So Isaiah chapter
1: 19.
0: Prophecy is given to us
1: for a variety of reasons. What is prophecy? It's when God tells in advance, sometimes uh, months, years, or hundreds of years in advance, what He's going to do. So. Here we have in Isaiah chapter 19 a prophecy. And I'd like to point out that this prophecy in Isaiah 19 would be scandalous in its day. If you were to tell Israel that their historic enemies are going to be counted among the people of God, they would be aghast. They would be shocked at such a treasonous kind of thought. Isaiah 19:23 to 25 mentions not only that Egypt will be among the people of God, but also another enemy of Israel, Assyria. Let's read about this. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. We're going to look at that in a moment, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word astounds us because you are an amazing God, a God of love, a God of purpose, a God of design, a God of mercy, a God who's not territorial and not restricted just to one people group. But you have told us to share the gospel among all nations, making disciples of people from around the world, that everyone, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will one day be represented at the throne of heaven and sing together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So, Father, thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been enjoying a series called Biblical Egypt, I went to Egypt a month ago and enjoyed all the incredible sights of this ancient and grand civilization, the pyramids and enduring a camel ride that's frightened me to no end. But I survived to be able to look at the Bible in a new way, look at the Bible and see how many times it emphasizes Egypt. And there's no uh, surprise that it's mentioned almost 700 times in the Old Testament and 25 times in the New Testament. So it has a major part to play in biblical history and also in the future, as we shall learn. So in order to capture the flavor of this, I spoke last week about how Abraham went to Egypt. He sought deliverance from Egypt instead of God in a time of famine. And how we point out that Hagar was an Egyptian slave of Sarah, who Sarah gave to Abraham at one point to try to have a child, and Ishmael was born of that union. Now, this is why Egypt is so prominent in the history of Israel. They're neighbors. They share a border. Also, Egypt has the longest river in the world, the Nile, that flows from the south to the north, and the delta part of the Nile would flood every year, which would provide a fertile ground for survival, especially during times of famine. So we shouldn't be surprised that next we see Joseph in Egypt. Joseph is sold by his brothers Uh, to Midianites who sell him uh, in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, and God eventually raises Joseph up to be um, there in charge in Egypt under Pharaoh. And he says, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And had, had it not been for Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream and providing a storage of the food supplies for seven years, to anticipate seven years of famine to follow, uh, all of that area would have starved to death, and this is what brought the uh, Joseph's family, um, Jacob and his eleven brothers, to come to Egypt and be established there. While they were established in Egypt, they grew from 75 souls, 75 people, to uh, uh, a million plus. They grew into a nation, but they were enslaved by the Egyptians, and that's when God raised up Moses, the deliverer that He used. And Moses, you may remember, was put in a little basket in the Nile River, and I saw the bulrushes along the Nile River and thought about it, and. He killed an Egyptian taskmaster thinking he will take things in his own hands. But in God's time, when he encountered the burning bush, God said, you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And uh, through a series of 10 horrendous uh, plagues, um, Pharaoh's heart finally was opened to temporarily say yes to allowing the people uh, to leave Egypt. And that's when the Israelites left Egypt Uh, through the um, wonderful provision of the Lord and then the parting of the Red Sea where Pharaoh and his army were drowned after they tried to pursue the people. Now we come to Israel out in the wilderness and they tested God not once, not twice, but ten times. Ten times they tested him in, in the wilderness and much had to do with their experience in Egypt. So, first of all, they were lacking faith before crossing the Red Sea. It says in Exodus 15 24, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Excuse me. In Exodus 14 11 to 12, they were uh, compl- lacking faith before crossing the Red Sea. We We look at this, Exodus 14 and see 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hiriroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So God told them where to camp, and they were lacking of faith. They uh, complained about the water. This is Exodus 15, 24. The people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? In Exodus sixteen three, they complained in the desert, the desert of sin. They said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, the reason I remember these words very specifically and meaningfully is because My final exam in uh, taking Hebrew in seminary was to translate a section of the Bible from the Hebrew, and these were the words I translated. To my wonderful surprise, I got it. Let me read these words again. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. In other words, uh, they were always hearkening back to how good they had it in Egypt, rather than acknowledging God's presence and provision while they were wandering through the wilderness. Later, God would say, Didn't I keep your clothes from wearing out and your shoes from wearing out? Didn't I provide manna for you, uh, food from heaven? But instead of accepting this and trusting God, they were always wanting to go back to the world, which is what Egypt represented. Then we see that they uh, complained. uh, Then they collected too much manna. God said, collect daily the amount of manna that you need, but don't collect more than you need and, and don't collect on the Sabbath. So in Exodus 16:20, however some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And again they started collecting on the Sabbath. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, "How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone's to stay where they are on the Sabbath day. No one is to go out. And by the way, this is why the Lord says uh, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Just like the Israelites were to collect enough manna for one day at a time, we are to trust God when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that he's going to provide all that we need to sustain us On a daily basis, too many of us are worried about tomorrow. And Jesus says, today has enough worries of its own. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. The Israelites showed their lack of trust in the Lord by hanging on bread from the day before, that they would have more the next day, but it would spoil because that's not how trust works. It's not something you could put in the bank and go on to later. It's something you have to do on a daily basis, is trust the Lord. So they tried collecting on the Sabbath. Sixthly, they complained of a lack of water, and that was Exodus 17, 2-3. So they quarreled with Moses, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? You can see the repetitive reference to Egypt as being far better. And in the Christian life, you have been saved out of the world. To be a Christian is to be a saint called out of the world for God's special purpose. But how many Christians want to be like the world and go back to their old practices. We're not to do that. We've been called and saved and set apart for God's divine purposes, and we're to be a holy people, distinct from the world, separated from the world, not yearning what the world celebrates. Did you remember uh, that they also test the Lord by having a golden calf? Where did they get the idea of a golden calf? From Egypt. Egypt had gods of bulls, which represented strength. And Aaron, when confronted by Moses, how dare you, while I was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, create these uh, golden calves for the people to worship? And Aaron said, well, they just popped out. <laughs> no, they did not just pop out. He had seen in Egypt the worship of bulls and the gods that represented them, and he replicated that. And that's why in the Ten Commandments, God says, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. God is exclusively asking for worship to be focused on him and no substitute in place of him. Well, obviously this tested God by their idolatry. They're having a substitute God in worshiping a golden calf. And then in Numbers 11, 1-2, they complained at Taborah. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused, Then the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. I think you're catching the theme that they were constantly complaining and constantly grumbling rather than trying Thanking God and trusting him. May I just use a quick illustration that helps us? When you complain and you grumble, it's like you're shaking your fist. How come, God, you're not treating me better? How come you're not providing more for me? How come it seems like you've forgotten me? How come I don't have it as well as I used to have it when I wasn't a Christian? You're shaking your fist at God and you're complaining and grumbling. Now notice something about a closed fist. When you have a closed fist, God can't put anything in your hand because your hand is closed. But now notice this. If you open your hand, so palm is up, and you say, Thank you, God, for all you've done for me. Thank you, God, that you're with me and you're providing for me. Thank you, Lord, uh, for water and food and for clothing and for leading me when you're saying thankful. When you're saying thanks to God, guess what? You have an open palm that He could bless you and provide for you and put things in your hand. So this morning, as we look at the negative example of the Israelites, we need to ask ourselves, are we spending more time complaining and grumbling? or spending more time giving thanks and praising God for his provision and blessing and protection and guidance. There's so much we could be thanking him for. Why do we focus on complaining and grumbling and feeling sorry for ourselves and just uh, getting ourselves into a stew of unhappiness? And then uh, we see that they complained um, about a lack of food in Numbers 11.4. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Be careful what you want, you might get it. Uh, God provided uh, quail flying low to drop at their feet and they had more meat than they could ever eat and they got super sick and started dying because they gouged themselves so terribly in rebelling against God. And then finally in Numbers 14, the ultimate testing of God by the Israelites. It says, After the report of the 10 spies, they sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan, which God had promised to them, the land flowing with milk and honey, and when the 12 spies came back, two said, let's go into the land, and 10 said, don't go into the land, uh, because even though things are large and wonderful there, there are giants in the land, and we're but grasshoppers in their sight, and they'll just stop us like bugs. At that, Numbers 14, 1-4, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt. So they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they were rejecting Moses, God's appointed leader, and his brother Aaron, who was the spokesperson for Moses, because they didn't want to go the way that Moses was leading them. They didn't want to go into the promised land. And you know, the Bible says in the New Testament, watch out that you do not have a heart of unbelief as did the Israelites who refused to go into the promised land. Today, like right now, when you hear the word Lord, don't be like the Israelites and harden your heart with the sin of unbelief. Instead, trust the Lord. Step out by faith and see God bless you and provide for you. Live by faith, not by sight and don't resist God's guidance and provision for you. The Lord is working things for you, and you need to follow him. Now, because of the testing of the Lord, it wasn't this last experience of them rejecting uh, God's instruction to go into Canaan that brought judgment. It was all 10 of these resisting tests of the Lord that God said, no adult who's come out of Egypt, is going to go into the Promised Land. Their kids will go into the Promised Land, but the only adults who escaped from Egypt who will go into the Promised Land are the two spies who gave the positive report, Joshua and Caleb. They'll go into the Promised Land, but no one else. So that unbelieving generation died in the desert because they did not trust God. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So when the Lord's called you to trust in Christ and to be a part of his church and to follow him, don't go back to the world. Don't want what the world wants. Because what the world has is an illusion that will satisfy, but it's temporary, dissatisfying, and um, it will not quench the thirst of your soul. But the person who does the will of the Lord, that person abides forever. Now, Egypt is is very significant because now that we see Abraham in Egypt and Joseph in Egypt and Moses in Egypt, we see Jesus in Egypt. In Matthew 2, 13-15, when they had gone, that is the Magi had brought gifts to uh, Jesus as a little two-year-old child uh, living in a house at that point, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream uh, and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And you remember that that's exactly what Herod did. He had asked the magi, the wise men from the east, at what time did this star appear of the king of the Jews uh, that you've come to worship? You know, when you find him, come back to me and tell me where he is. And the Magi were warned not to go back to um, Herod, but to go home by another route. So Herod, not knowing where this king of the Jews was born, chose to have every little boy two years and younger killed. But God had warned Joseph to take Jesus and flee to Egypt. Now, why is this significant? Because Jesus represents true Israel. And everything that Israel went through, Jesus replicates in his life, including the exodus. So the exodus from um, Egypt is pictured by Jesus when he goes to Egypt and then goes uh, the Lord says to Joseph, now it's safe, Herod has died, come on back. It's very significant because it's referring to prophecy in Hosea. Matthew 2, 13-15 continues, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. I hope by this time in this series, you appreciate Egypt as a major player in the Bible story. But there is more. But there's more, as a person might say. And that more is that Egypt is mentioned in future prophecy. And that brings us to Isaiah 19, 23 to 25. Now, I mentioned to you that prophecy is God speaking in advance of what's going to happen. And had people known what was going to happen, they would shake their heads and say, never in a million years will Egypt be worshiping the true God. I found a list as to why Prophecy, biblical prophecy is so important. And I'm just going to mention, read it to you very quickly. Number one, the fact that God predicts what's going to happen in advance pictures God's sovereignty, that God is in charge. Number two, biblical prophecy exists because it's to stimulate evangelism. We're to tell other people about the Lord because he's true to his word. Number three, biblical prophecy verifies the truthfulness and accuracy of of scripture i could turn you to daniel chapter 11 which lays out 250 years of history in advance in detail about alexander the great and about the king of the south which is egypt and point out in historic textbooks how that prophecy laid out exactly what was going to happen isn't that amazing Daniel 11. Biblical prophecy encourages moral and social responsibility. Biblical prophecy delivers comfort in a time of sorrow. It's a primary portion of the Bible. It accentuates holy living. It aids in spiritual strength. And it puts a proper perspective of this age. And so biblical prophecy is all that and more. So when we come to Isaiah 19, you need to understand one concept. That it says twice in that day. Notice there in verse 23, in that day, and then notice the next phrase, in that day. So twice it says in that day. When is that day when people from Egypt will be worshiping the one true God and people from Assyria will be worshiping the one true God? When is in that day? Well, here's something many of you, and uh, until recently, I have not uh, given as much thought to as I should, but in preaching through Isaiah at Sycamore Glen, I've enjoyed and understood better, is the Millennial Kingdom. What is the Millennial Kingdom? Then, When Christ returns, he brings us to be with him. When he destroys his enemies at the Battle of Armageddon, he will rule on earth. There'll be a millennial kingdom. During that millennial kingdom, Egyptians and Assyrians will come to know the Lord and trust in him and be from among those around the throne worshiping the Lord. And in that day, this will be fulfilled. But also, did you know that Egypt currently has the largest percentage of Christians of in any Middle East nation? There's 10%, conservatively speaking, 10% of the population of Egypt are Christians. There is Elephantine Temple, which is a temple that the Jews had established on the island of Elephantine to worship the Lord. And of course, in the time of Pentecost, when Jesus When the church was born, people were there from all around the world, including Egypt, and trusted in Christ and went home to tell their family members and friends about Christ. So are there Egyptian believers today? Yes, there are. When I was in Egypt, I saw people with ashes on their forehead. What was that about? Well, it was the season of Lent. And on Ash Wednesday, they had ashes placed on their forehead. Here I am in a primarily Muslim country, And I'm seeing a lot of Coptic Christians who have ashes on their forehead. So when we get to heaven, will there be people from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation worshiping the Lord? Yes, there will be. And we praise God for his amazing grace that is for all peoples. Not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that you are the Lord of history. You are the sovereign God who's working all things out for your plan. And that plan is for Jesus to reign on the earth, to be King of kings and Lord of lords, that he will reign in righteousness and there will be peace and the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth. We look forward to that day and we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, thank you that we have an equal opportunity gospel, that it's open to all peoples who will trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Jesus, we do trust you. We know that your blood was shed to forgive us of our sins. We know that you rose from the dead, that we might have the gift of eternal life, and we trust in you for salvation. And now we come to your table to remember that your blood was
0: shed and your body was given for our salvation. in Jesus name. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-8920521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530. 530- 8920521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith building messages from God's word.